for that uh, very hard opening track called mm. Baby I'm Bleeding from his new album, Veteran. Um, Cool-ass album. Uh, yes. Very intense. Mm-hmm. Um, it will burn the... Like li- we like it. It will burn the lies off your soul, as Billy Corgan once said. Uh, <laughs> he was referring to Zeitgeist, and he failed. Uh, Paul... <laughs> Paul, the Smashing Pumpkins, uh, we're recording this on Monday, February 12th, and uh, by Thursday, February 15th, the Pumpkins are making a big announcement, which basically everyone, including them, has spoiled will be a reunion tour featuring Billy, Jimmy, and James. They're already in a public fight with Darcy, and there are banners in and around Times Square uh, with Smashing Pumpkins quotes on them, including one that says, despite all my rage. (laughs) <laughs> um, which uh, is, begins to make me feel uh, tr- troubled by hmm. the fact that it's I am my band has a, a banner in Times Square. So my question is, um, do we uh, need to find one of these Smashing Pumpkins shows that we can attend together? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Joe, if... Um if somebody put up uh, some movie quotes from uh, Elizabeth Taylor today, would you want to sleep with her now? Wow. Uh, <laughs> you know, yes, sure. <laughs> Let's go for it. You realize she's been dead for six years. Ah, um, well, you know. <laughs> she's alive. No, no, I was. <laughs> I chose her for a reason. Uh, you know, um, okay, zombie. Well, you get to you cross zombie and Elizabeth Taylor off the list at the same time. That is that is a, a tempting twofer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, you know, I would go see that show since I never actually, I've never seen James Eha in concert. <gasps> um, uh, I've seen Billy and Jimmy with Zwan. Um, apparently, I'll never see Darcy. I thought she was going to be part of this. I didn't. I'm not following. Uh, the news. It, it fell apart. She is uh, a. You know, she she's a she's a, a drug addict who has a lot of problems with relapses and money. And I, I don't think she's. You know. Oh really? Yeah. You know. I thought she was like happily secluded on a horse farm or something. I think that's the little story that people uh-huh. play out. But it she went to she went to live on a farm. Seems I get to it. go up and down. Um, eighteen years bad. or whatever of, uh, uh, or twelve years of hanging out with Billy will destroy anyone's Ugh. mind 
it, it to his credit it took a remarkably long time for jimmy's mind to be destroyed but you know it did happen eventually uh Paul, I will I will see you there. I can't resist, even though I've seen the pumpkins, I've seen James Eha solo, and of course <laughs> Sazwan with you. I'll be yeah. back one more time. How many how many dates are we guessing this is gonna be? Is this gonna be like some bullshit football stadium tour? Because I'm I'm not down with that. They're not gonna but I, they can't fill a football stadium. <laughs> okay, no. They can okay, I, fine. I don't think they I'm not sure they could fill arenas. I think they'll probably play arenas. Like I uh-huh. think they'll end up playing like the Moda Center here. But you yeah. know, I I. What if it's casinos, dude? What if it's casinos? Oh hell yes! Then we're gonna have a good time. <laughs> no, I've never been to one of those. Like, uh, uh, you know, uh, one member of the band from the '70s band at the local shitty casino shows, and I uh, I don't know if I can make the pumpkins my first one. <laughs> that would be. <laughs> So many delicious, delicious things happening there. I've spent so much time in my life mocking those shows and the people who go to them uh, for being hopeless nostalgists. I don't know, Joe. This is I, I the the quotes in the Times Square thing. I I'm feeling a lot of pandering in my direction, and you know I don't like that. That's true. Um, yeah. Well, you know, once you go, you never have to go again. <laughs> is is that how it works? No, no. We'll be going again in five years from now. <laughs> When Darcy's back. <laughs> and, and Tom York is the lead singer. Yes, yes, and you don't stop. Cool ID, best rapper, you don't stop. Another fucking hundred fucking dollar for the style for you and your mind. Come on, yeah, you can never define anything but divine love. I'm a savage beast. <laughs> Slightly above average, at least not. Preference is relative. My reference is consistently. Uh, bring you to another vicinity I hit you with the riddles consistently Dead in the middle, a little triply Little did we know that we triggered a fissure in the metaphysical imagery And welcome to Savage Beast, I'm Joe Gallagher uh, With me as always, uh, he's been dead since the podcast started It's Paul McLeod um, Yeah, you know Joe, uh, people give zombies a lot of shit But effectively, zombies could live forever um, you know, maybe I'd prefer to be a lich or a vampire, but uh, I'll take whatever I can get as long as I don't have to, f- at least uh, ahead of time, admit that I'm going to die fully someday. I, so. You know, I think uh, lich liches are kind of the next big thing. I, I see, <laughs> I see a lich renaissance coming around. Maybe some some young adult lich novels that will be yes, really obnoxious young adult lich movies, lich slash fiction. Mm, yeah. Um, uh, but you know, my point was that all of our listeners, uh, you know, who are following those conspiracy theories about all the clues that you were dead. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, for instance, the twenty-minute segment where I stabbed you to death. Um, they're <laughs> correct. They're correct. Paul is dead. Sorry, Siri was just talking to me. Why? Yeah. Something you, I, I don't know what it was, but I can recall you pronouncing syllables that sounded like Siri. It's possible. Um, <laughs> conspiracy, that's it. Um, ah, there you go. Uh, so I'm just going to say that again, Possi- you know, uh, including that time that I stabbed you to death for 20 minutes on air. Um, they're yeah. right. They're right. Uh, you um, are dead. Um, and this is yeah. an imposter, Paul. It's one of those things that makes you, uh, you know, what is with all these sheeple who just can't see the truth right in front of them? But even even with that, before each it's, it's there. Before each podcast, I actually go on Fiverr and uh, just find some, uh, you know, 
guy in uh, East Asia <laughs> who will uh, be you for this episode for like 20 bucks. Really? It's a pretty good deal. Uh, yeah. Thank you, know. you. Thank you. I mean, I'm speaking to, you know, um, one of one of you right now. And, and thank you. Um, the, <laughs> I'll we'll work out the PayPal issues after this. As you said, I'm speaking to, I was just thinking, don't be racist. Don't be racist. Don't I know. Racist. I, I did not you want to make up a fake name. It was <laughs> well done. <laughs> um, um, all right. Joe, what are we talking about today? Uh, we're going to review uh, a five hour long album. Uh, it's the 20th anniversary of Nutramilk Hotels in the airplane over the sea. So we're going to talk about that. Um, and then we're going to revisit uh, and expand upon our conversation um, about separating uh, the art from the artist in light of uh, the Me Too movement and um, uh, various musicians being accused of uh, various forms of sexual misconduct and mm-hmm. assault. Um, so, yeah. Paul, you introduced me to um, a five-hour-long uh, solo piano album, uh, mm-hmm. and it ruled. Joe, um, did you listen to all five hours yet? You know, I didn't. Me neither. Um, but like any good uh, white man, I think the world still needs my uninformed opinion. No, absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, I think, you know, presuming that nothing crazy happens, I think I got the gist of it. I'm not saying there's no value in listening to the rest of it, but um, I get the idea. Um, so this is a Lamont Young. Uh, I presume it's Lamont and not Lamonti. I guess I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Uh who so he the the pitchfork review of this they did their big sunday review of this album it's from 1981 so it gets the retrospective treatment um and it's called 81 by 25 uh and then it's like the uh times of the day from 6 something p.m to 11 something p.m at night which is the five hour span in which it was played uh and it's also got new york or manhattan in the title because that's where it was played um and it's just as you said him on a piano um, now Pitchfork in there framed this as I should look up the writer. Um, hmm, I'm going to do that real quick. Um, framed this as Lamont Young is, um, uh, one of the, you know, four big, uh, minimalist composers, uh, along with Steve Reich and John Cage and, uh, Terry Riley, hmm. um, which, I had definitely heard of those other three guys. I had never heard of Lamont Young. Had you heard of Lamont Young before? Uh, yes, as long as there were no follow-up questions. Yeah, okay. I hadn't even heard the name. Um, but uh, 
they also point out that a lot of people have said he's not really a minimalist. I can I can see that argument. Um, but anyway, it was interesting to me that he's regarded that highly. They're all about the same age, all four of those guys. Um, by the way, this is written by Mark Masters, so mm. want to give him props. Um, oh, the well-tuned piano is the actual name of this album. I skipped the part that's actually descriptive. I was wondering um, if you were going to get to that. No, no, okay, yeah. The well, just, Lamont Young, the well-tuned piano, will Google will get you there on Google. Um, which, uh, as far as I can tell, you have to either buy it on CD or listen to the um, pretty high-quality upload on YouTube. Um, I don't think it. I, I couldn't find it anywhere else. Um, anyway. Um, so uh, this thing, maybe you would consider it minimalist, but it's him improvising for, are there no intermissions or did I just not get to any? Um, five hours anyway of him playing the piano um, with, uh, let's say, melodic and harmonic um, uh, events planned out ahead of time, but like the actual keys he's hitting within those... Um, uh, within those chords and uh, and uh, so forth are not planned out in advance, which you can tell from the way he's playing it. Um, and uh, uh, what's remarkable about it, what makes it work, that he's kind of doing like a, a fairly, through the parts I've listened to, a fairly, um, you might even say repetitive, uh, dynamic and rhythmic thing where like he'll have sort of a, a uh, quiet, awkward, herky-jerky melody, um, you know, with some harmony going on, that then turns into the squall of keys being hit. Um, uh, he sort of goes through that cycle over and over again, but it's different every time because, um, A, he changes up, you know, he, he changes up the mode he's playing in, but B, the modes are totally different from what you're normally used to because, as the title implies, this piano is not tuned the way a regular piano is. Um, namely... It's been tuned to uh, be, where is it called? What is the name of this kind of pitch? Shit. I should remember this. Do you remember the name of the kind of pitch this is, Joe? Uh, no, because I don't, I don't really understand the musical theory behind it. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so I read a little bit about it. Yeah. The idea is regular pianos are pitched such that the interval between every uh, key you know, counting the black and the white ones is always exactly uh, the same, basically, which means that you can take something written in C major and you can play it in D major and the the notes are all the same distance apart, even though you've shifted them, you know, up and down a little bit mm-hmm. um, or up in that case. Um, but that actually requires you to um, have the notes tuned in such a way that the ratios of the keys when you're going across octaves differ slightly. Mm-hmm. And so instead, um, I could be describing this wrong, but instead this, uh, that's called um, just intonation, sorry. Just intonation is the way that he did it, um, which means, um, okay, well-tempered intonation is the normal one I just described. Just intonation um, that's more exact the intervals between each string follow rigid whole number ratios so basically um it's every fraction of the ratio of one note to the other is always going to reduce to something like uh two to one or three to two or four to three or ten to seven even or something like that but not Mm -hmm. some irrational number um so 
the result is that you get a completely different sort of, um, especially when he's playing a lot of keys, which he does a lot, you get a completely different sort of uh, uh, a reverberating sound from the piano. I would say it's not like you, if I had listened to this and I didn't know all that, I don't, I wouldn't have picked it out. Maybe I wouldn't, I would have noticed that there was weird things going on with the harmonies and the scales he was using, but I wouldn't have known that that was because the actual notes on the piano were different from normal piano notes. So I found that all very interesting. And the effect, certainly the idea is that you get um, unique emotional resonances with these um, unusual intervals. And I will say, I do feel that at least, or at least I'm able to convince myself of it as I listen to this. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's an interesting point You when you say, would I have noticed it otherwise? I mean, certainly when you first dive into the piece, you know, something sounds off. And I, I don't think mm-hmm. I could have described that as like a different tuning so much as, you know, he's hitting slightly uh, flat or sharp notes. He or, could have been using a different scale or something. Yes, yeah. yes. But, you know, the effect is with that these you know, different notes that he's hitting that at first sound off start to blend together in ways that become extremely appealing to your ears. And Mm -hmm. they really do resonate with each other. And I think, you know, you Mm -hmm. described it's like a wash of reverb that really, uh, that really like carries you away at some points. Um, And yeah, it's, it's quite, um, you know, it's mysterious and moving. Uh, And it, it has, you know, when you, get really good minimalist compositions uh they allow you or for me they allow me to really just enjoy the character of the sound and like Mm -hmm. get lost in those individual um moments and notes and harmonies and pauses and and that that happens here um in a way that is uh subtly unique and i think um that can be obviously attributed to the uh the the tuning and of course his own uh musical genius <laughs> as an improv improvis- improvisational com- uh uh god i could i you just you murdered that I phrase murdered it was that. awesome improvisational <laughs> composer there we go um, there you go which you know and he he claims the piece has never been finished and that you know every time he plays it uh more is added to it Um, yeah you know which it's not clear to me that there are any other good recordings of it besides this one um which it would be interesting to compare them but again i don't know if i'm going to sit down and uh (laughs) memorize one five-hour segment of music so that i can listen to another and hear differences but paul that was um, one of your this is can be your piece for your resolution to really master one classical (laughs) piece of music i honestly thought of that as i was listening to this the first time like how does this fit into that resolution um (laughs) but uh um yeah you know when you talked about it being moving i mean like my my skin actually tingles during some of the, mm-hmm. the more intense parts of this thing. Like it is, it is cool. And you know, even though it's five hours and that sounds crazy, the fact that it's sort of cycling through very noticeable movements and, um, you know, the the sort of rhythmic and dynamic ideas the same each time or similar at least. Yeah, means that you can kind of just jump in wherever and immediately start getting something out of it. You know. Yes. Um, m- maybe. Uh, the true aficionado of Lamont Young in this piece uh, uh, will tell you that no, actually, the exact sequence, the deepest 
truths of this work can be unlocked only by listening to the whole thing all the way through. But I mean, even even Mark Masters in his Pitchfork review admits that he's only listened to all five hours in a row once. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because honestly, like, I mean, so I could put this on while I'm at work. And if nobody bothered me that day, I mean, I could actually probably listen to it for five straight hours. Um, But uh, outside, but if that's all you're doing, it's hard to imagine a time you're going to make time in your life for that. Yeah. I mean, I think if you listen to, if you were to sit down and just listen to this for five hours and not do anything else, I mean, you know, you would be in a state of, meditation and yeah. trance that would uh probably transcend the music itself and be more about your mind yeah. relaxing it'd be a buddhist thing yeah, yeah yeah you know shrooms would probably be the thing to do that this mm. with you know because those last a long time that would probably be the way to do it uh Interesting. yes i will <laughs> keep that in mind the next time i eat a handful of shrooms and Don't eat a handful. Just eat one. Yes. <laughs> no pull. It'll be even better with a handful. Um, well, I think I think we we both highly recommend uh, checking this out. It's on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Lamont Young, the well-tuned piano. Uh, uh, start listening, and uh, I, I dare you not to be transported. Get an hour in. Definitely listen to an hour of it. I yeah. would say. Yeah. There's no reason you can't give it an album's worth of your attention. Yes. Um, okay. Uh, Paul, let's talk about uh, in the airplane over the sea, celebrating its twentieth uh, anniversary today, uh, this this month. Um, and talk about uh, your skin tingling. I mean, Jesus. Yeah. Um, what What should we? I was trying to think of what we could play from the album, and I was thinking we could play like like uh, the live version of like O Comely from the official like Jeff Magnum. Mangum live at Jittery Joe's, something like that. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, let's do that. Airplane over the sea, uh, Paul. Um, I came across Neutral Milk Hotel in a list in Rolling Stones, I think in the year 2000, of the best uh, albums of the 90s. And it was ranked huh. over some Pumpkins album. And I was enraged. Uh, <laughs> and I thought it had the weirdest, maybe dumbest name of a band. Uh, but it stuck out to me enough that I. Um, saw their mp3s available for download um and i downloaded uh king of carrot flowers uh parts two and three and um i think holland 1945 and you know i listened to them 
Mm. and uh, was like, well, I, I have to find some way to acquire this album immediately. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, that's a good reaction to have. And I remembered, you know, I remember, you know, listening to it in the afternoon in, in my bedroom all the way through, and I remember it so clearly because, you know, it's it's one of two albums along with Kid A that I can fully honestly say I liked every single song the first time I listened to the album, hmm. um, which, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's other albums that are close to that, but this one I was like, I was just completely into it from beginning to end. Um, uh, what a compliment. Yes. Um, I yeah. I don't have such a, a detailed list of those kinds of albums in my head, but um I listened to it because of uh, all the things you just described because you were the one who suggested uh, that I listen to it eventually. Um, for which I'm very glad. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's funny because like this was before I was really into weirdo indie music. Yes. Um, you know. Um, is, this, is this album why? It's, it's, I mean, quite possibly. I mean, once you listen to this, this is a this is an album that, that let's say will uh, stretch you out uh, for that kind of a thing. Um, there's uh, uh, if you can if you can learn to love Jeff Mangum just fucking howling slightly mm-hmm. off key all the time, um, then uh, then you're prepared for anything. Now. Um, not many other things this weird are going to be this good. Um, it's uh, it's still amazing. So, you know, a lot of people are like self-consciously weird when they make their music uh, in the types of music that we listen to, you know? Yes. I yes. would say very few musicians manage to make their weirdness this affecting. Like, it usually seems like more of a put-on. Whereas with Jeff Mangum, like... I really believe like that's just the way he knows how to sing. Like he he doesn't he it seems like the natural way to express the things he's trying to express to him um rather than like oh I discovered a weird thing I could do with my voice. Let me see if I can make music out of it, you know? Um maybe that's just maybe that's not true, but that's how it feels when you're listening to it. Um but yeah, and then of course you pile on top of just the singular weirdness of jeff mangum with uh, both the way he sings and what he sings um you add uh just the um bizarre secondary instrumentation particularly mm-hmm. the singing saw which i so i'd seen people play the saw in like midwestern churches before um and it always blew my mind like how beautiful and melodic it was to just yes. run a bow along the spine of a saw um truly bizarre um and uh but i i hadn't and i don't think to this day have heard it used in you know really amazing permanently recorded art um the way it is here so as soon as i heard it in this i was just like whoa yes i mean um if i could i mean interrupt i I think one of the things that's so striking about the singing saw about some of the other instruments the the horns the zanzithophone Mm. which is a weird (laughs) 80s electronic synthesized uh, saxophone that are actually like hard to find and maintain um Mm is how well produced the album Mm -hmm. is. I mean, every instrument has this incredible 
warm choral feel to it even especially the acoustic guitar i mean you know yeah the, or even or even the fuzz bass just sounds great on yes this album. yes i mean it's every every single instrument has a distinct tone which belongs to to this album alone um mm-hmm. and uh that is um maybe one of the things i discovered about it in my most recent listen um yeah was how beautiful um uh that production uh, was and it's produced by Robert Schneider, who was part of kind of the Elephant Six um, collective, and uh, you know that whole group um, that uh, was on Merge Records and um, kind of put Psych Rock at the front of indie at that time. So, mm-hmm. you know, props to him for um, yeah. Considering they must have been working on a shoestring budget, mm-hmm. um, it's really impressive how good this album sounds. Um, and especially given how weird the things were he had to contend with, like it must be hard to figure out how to record the singing saw right, you know? Yes. Not a lot of, not a lot of technical articles on that out there. Um, I really, um, I really recommend, um, Paul, do you know the 33 and a third series? Those a small, yeah, books I haven't that, yeah. read any of them, but I know about them. Yeah. Well, I, I really recommend Kim Cooper's book about this album. Um, oh, it's, fuck it, yes. It's a really really thoughtful look at really the whole history of the band, um, but just focused around how they, um, you know, how they randomly moved from Georgia to Colorado just to record this. Um, and, um, that the whole kind of process around that, um, uh, yeah. it's, 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 uh, it's a magical story. I actually drove by the house where Jeff Mangum lived, used to live in Athens. I was not stalking him, but I just, where he <laughs> wrote a lot of the songs. I was like, yes. I should have done that when I was in Athens. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, I hung out with the bassist from Pylon. But anyway. Um, yeah. And actually, I sat, had dinner right next to uh, the bassist from R.E.M. Uh, what's his fucking name? Um, we don't need to. We don't, ba- we don't need to know We're such name. bad indie heads. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, um, yeah. So, I mean, I think maybe the, the biggest compliment I can play this album is, uh, without, without even coming close to cataloging all the greatness of it, um, it has two songs that are like sort of quintessential pop in my head soundtrack moments for deep feelings I have many times over the, uh, you know, whatever, 16 years since I first listened to this album, Mm -hmm. which is... You know, when something is just like incredibly sweetly beautiful, like just yeah, like like there's uncomplicated loveliness. Um, the title track in the aeroplane over the sea always pops into my head. Yeah, uh, specifically the line "What a beautiful face I have found in this place that is circling yes. all around the sun." Um, and then also, um, when something is just devastatingly sad, utterly heartbreaking. Uh, what pops into my head is the part at the end of Two Headed Boy Part Two when he when the mute song almost goes completely quiet, quiet, and then his voice comes back in saying the title lyric Two Headed Boy. Yes, that always pops in my head then too. Um, and Ooh, this is happening like, many times. Shudder to think about that. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's like. To for one album to to produce moments that can do both of those things, I mean, I I'm, I'm pretty sure nothing else has ever done that for me, and it's it's insane how how just how affecting his 
bizarreness is. Yeah, I mean, and uh, I was reading a really good write-up of it in Stereo Gum um, that uh, detailed how many bands, um, you know, this influenced. <laughs> and, you know, we've 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 seen a few that it may have influenced too much, but just so much Beirut. came from, yes, came <laughs> from that psych rock that they brought back to indie. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, Beirut, the Decemberists um, mm-hmm. are, you know, the two big ones. Um, but then also uh, made a good point that um, uh, sort of the shout bands like Of Monsters and Men and like Lumineers mm-hmm. also owe something to the the spirit of this album um and absolutely and anything that's sort of that that's that sort of fun sing-along uh, within indie rock is um you know has has to pay a debt to this album i mean it, it brought something as as you know you you went to see um uh you went to see jeff mangum when he came back around mm-hmm. yeah i saw both him and the band yeah uh, a year apart. same yeah. and i mean it was just such it was like a, a joyous revival it was just beautiful and everyone was so happy to be there singing mm-hmm. along they're just some of my favorite concert experiences um to see the joy this music brought to the people in attendance um absolutely who shed pretension um, <laughs> kind of as the music demands you know that's that's what's i think you know you you made that point that it's that's kind of what's beautiful about it is that it's so vulnerable yeah um no you're right at the especially at the the full band show um that's one of the only times where I've seen just like everybody in the crowd just like, you know, uh, in unison going crazy to it. Um, excuse me. One of the only indie rock times because right. when Kendrick Lamar wasn't even really famous yet, everybody in the crowd was going crazy to him. But, you know, that's just <laughs> that's good. the fact that 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 hip hop people are cooler than indie people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but um yeah, what were you saying that I wanted to comment on? I may have lost it, and I won't uh, pause the podcast while we make that happen. So anyway, <laughs> I'll just say... Um, Is it about the bands who are influenced by it? Oh, yeah. I was going to say, Joe, uh, I hate to say it, but I think even the Arcade Fire might have been influenced oh, by yeah. Mutual Milk Hotel. Of course, of course. <laughs> um, but you know what's interesting about all those bands that you mentioned is um, they are all... even, even all every single one of them, uh, without exception, is so much more normal as they take on some of Jeff Mangum's stuff, um, and uh, and they they suffer for it. I mean, like yes. like Colin Malloy in the Decemberists is trying to sing like Jeff Mangum. It almost sounds like, um, but it's not as crazy and it's not as good. Um, no no offense to the Decemberists, I really like that band. Yeah, but, you know. No, no, they they cannot match. Uh, they assume a pose uh, that that automatically puts a barrier between them and the pure heart of this music. Um, now same, I, with ba- same with Beirut, who I think kind of understands the sound mm-hmm. better than anyone else, but still um, cannot wield it to uh, at the same level as there's, the band. There's a, there's a seeming insanity that is, I don't think it's possible for many humans to survive experiencing the way Jeff Mangum has that yes. comes out in his music. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and, uh, the, you know, one, one point that I love to make about this album and I won't miss it here is that when I did see them, 
the full band live, um, they played uh, The Fool, which is the mm-hmm. the horn-led instrumental track, track five. And I was just... I was just totally moved by that and you know of course i know it's it's you know one of my um, a moment i love on the album but it it stood alone as such a great song um that you really realize that this this um i mean it's it's here we're back saying i'm back saying just how good the album is (laughs) but um there are um dozens and dozens of points where uh, it moves you in uh, unexpected and deep ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I again, last point way I'll try to express this, but like, like the lyrics to this album are bizarre. The imagery is crazy. You can see this. Like, I think the the first song, "The King of Carrot Flowers," Part One, um, is possibly the best example of this. But um, you know, images like. Um, your mom would stick a fork right into daddy's shoulder and dad would throw the garbage all across the floor. Like that's a very strange image. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, uh, man, I don't know. Even if you're not going to take it literally, it really, it really hit. I don't know. There's, it's this, it's like, um, it's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, almost like the acid lyrics, I guess is how I'd put it. Like there's a, <laughs> there's a hallucinogenic quality to it that somehow still feels extremely true. And that's, that's what's so cool. Well, to tr- I mean, they translate that moment of like, you know, two kids kind of hiding from, mm-hmm. you know, abusive or crazy parents. And yeah. in- instead of making that a moment of fear mm-hmm. uh, or darkness, it's like a place where, his voice just connects to you as a, like a shared human experience. Like you're glad that everyone's experienced like those moments of darkness and that you're like, you're singing about it with him. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, he kind of gets to the, the, you know, communicating the, that connectedness, even in those um, bizarre and dark (laughs) lyrics. Yeah. And then even when they're straightforward, like the last line of that song, and Dad would dream of all the different ways to die, each one a little more than he could dare to try, is just like, uh, there's, <laughs> there's something, I mean, like, you know, to explicate that line, just, um, one, um, it's certainly true that anybody who's ever been depressed has been sat there and thought about, you know, ways you could end up dying that you yes. know, you're ready to welcome at some point. But then the ex, so that's that's sad, but maybe a little trite on its own. But then pointing out that he's not actually going to do it, and how that's actually in a way sort of tragic or at least pathetic, um, is uh, just that much more. Um, <laughs> it's it's, yes. it's it's a little twist of the knife there. That's uh, I don't know. That's just a couple examples yeah. of how incredible the lyrics are on this album. Yeah, um, and. I think my final point on this would be that I, this album just means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. And and I think almost everyone who, who likes it feels the same way. I mean, yeah. it's like, a, uh, you know, a, certainly like a precious thing. And, um, you know, I can't really imagine my, at least my musical life without it. 
Yeah. You know, and, and it may, it may be, uh, you know, there are very few albums in that category and it's, it's there in a unique way, you know, I mean, it's. Yeah. No, you just made me, when you said that, you just made me think, realize that that's true for me too. Like part of it is, um, part of it is that even though we've now had this album for 20 years, it still feels like its existence is precarious in that. Yes. Jeff Mangum stopped making music after this new music anyway. Um, and um, uh, seems to have been the sort of person where it's a slight miracle that he uh, was able to produce something so well even once. Um, obviously, he's got other <laughs> right. music, too. But, I mean, like, he, he seems to have been underemployed and not totally, um, you know, mentally set for the modern world. Um, so the fact that it exists at all seems a little bit surprising even now. Um, and then the fact that you, uh, that it's so personal and so, um, you love it so deeply. I, it, I kind of feel like this album, the way I feel when I, um, have a really tender moment of love and terror for the precariousness of like one of my children, you know, right. like, like yeah. it, it feels a lot like, like holding your baby really close to really contemplate this, this album. So yeah, it's that good. <laughs> it is, it really is, um, and uh, we thank we thank the band for it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, um, and, and and genuinely, like this is one of those cases where um, I I feel nothing but but gratitude that this exists. It's 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 a gift yes. to be able to experience it. Some yes. people died before 1998. They never heard this album. Yeah, my gosh. Um, well, you know, we will, um, uh, uh, I, I look forward to playing this song to, uh, the younger generations, my kids, other people's kids, kids on the street. Yeah. (laughs) They're all going to like it. They're all going to like it. I'm, uh, uh, we need to, we need to, uh, uh, they'll probably just be like, yeah, the, uh, the Diplo remix was better, but, (laughs) I will kill Diplo. <laughs> Diplo, you are fucking dead if you do that. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh man. Um. Okay. Um, well, if you haven't listened to this album, go listen to it. <laughs> yeah, please do. So we'll play a snippet here from um, our last topic of discussion, which is uh, Very Bad Wizards, which is one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, is a philosopher and a psychologist, as it tells you at the beginning, um, who uh, who like to talk about things both funny and in the news, and then they actually like get deep into their fields a lot. Um, really great podcast. If you haven't listened to it, I highly recommend it. I've listened to almost all the episodes except the ones that have spoilers about like movies I haven't seen yet. Um, but um, uh, so they talk about a lot of different things, and one of them they talked about recently was. This clip you're about to hear uh, about the whole Me Too movement, basically, and the oft-trod topic of um, how to deal with artists who have been credibly accused in the Me Too movement, um, and how to deal with the fact that we might still really want to love their work. And this is obviously at this point true for like scores of people um, <laughs> that we have to deal with this with. Um, if not, hundreds might be appropriate already, too. Um, but what, what's interesting about this is that they bring up the subject of, uh, of uh, gangster rappers specifically. So let's uh, listen to that. We know that there is-
which if what we needed to do was morally evaluate all of the people who whose art we enjoyed, then we would probably end up having to discard a lot of it. But that doesn't mean that once I find out that there's this like, you know, but somebody was a moral monster that 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 it wouldn't influence whether or not I want to enjoy their art. Like I I don't have to bite the bullet and then like go through my catalog Right, like I couldn't enjoy the Wu Tang Clan at all if, like, I if I aggregated the number of bad things that they did and used that as a metric. I mean, that's an inter- rappers are interesting. There was a thing with Dre, right, where yeah, uh, he punched a woman, or right. Something he he slapped D Barnes, a reporter, right? Um, yeah, They're, like a lot of these guys, uh, I'm sure, have done terrible things. Right. Yeah, but that, their well, music right. is sort of about that to a large extent. I mean, Eminem is sort of the king of this, where he's done some bad things, but nothing, nothing probably remotely as bad as the character that he portrays right. himself to be in his music. So, does that <laughs> help or hurt the situation? Does that like right? Like I wouldn't be tempted to say if it turns out Eminem really did murder a girlfriend. I wouldn't be really tempted to say. But like, come on, guys! Like he's been talking about it this whole time. Like, <laughs> yeah, rap is is an interesting case where like, and and I, I don't think I have to say that like I'm a, like I'm a huge fan so of of <laughs> of the genre, but it does pose problems. I remember when um like. When people were especially up in arms, there was a period of time where people were especially up in arms about the content of rap lyrics and, and censorship, and, and a lot of rappers were targets of of censorship or sort of moral majority kinds of calls to like eliminate this kind of foul music from influencing our kids. And rappers would often turn to the analogy of, uh, you know, they would say, you know, guys, it's just art. Arnold Schwarzenegger in his movies kills like 30 people. And nobody's saying that Arnold that you should boycott Arnold Schwarzenegger's movies. Um, that's what we're doing, right? When we when we make raps and we talk about violent stuff, like it's it's a role we're playing. But that always has been inconsistent in my mind with the the very sort of core principle. The core one of the core values of rap is that you're you're. You, you're sincere. You're not fronting. That you're, you're being not... authentic, right? Yeah. So if if you're actually like making up like all of these things that you've done, right? Then you would actually be an object of ridicule. In right. fact, that you, is a very get, like, common diss, right? You'll get torn <laughs> apart in, in a battle. Yeah, Jay Z famously dissed Nas by 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 saying, "I showed you my gun on tour with Large Professor, and then I hear your rhyme about." your tech and your dresser or whatever right he's like basically <laughs> basically you're looking at my life and you're pretending to write about it um and that that inauthenticity that's how ja rule like his career was destroyed because <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah studio rapper like you have to studio gangster yeah and and so so there is a case where it's like kind of like a poet where you're like i no, i'm banking on the fact that the things that rappers are saying are in some measure an accurate reflection of who they are as a person Okay, so uh, that was Very Bad Wizards, uh, a very good podcast. Um, uh, Paul, thank you for recommending it to me. You're welcome. Um, and I want to remind our listeners that in, in episode uh, 59, um, well, actually in a series of episodes, um, we um, checked in, um, uh, well, an episode, okay, in episode 58, War with the Emo Council, we spent a significant amount of time talking about brand news, 
new album. And in episode 59, we acknowledged that uh, we recorded that just before um, uh, Jesse Lacey, the singer of Brand New, uh, was um, accused of being just on the edge of being a pedophile. Um, Yeah, a pretty... (laughs) Definitely a huge creep and asshole. So we agreed that we would come back to the topic, and here we are. Um, yeah. Paul, why don't you go ahead and respond um, to that clip? What interests you? Yeah. What interested you about it? So this doesn't totally apply to Jeff Lacey, although maybe Jesse Lacey, although maybe it does kind of. Um, who's we'll get Jeff, there. Who's Jeff Lacey? I feel like I know that name. Maybe it's mm. just somebody I know in real life. Anyway, um, so um, anyway, so I had considered the question of, how do you deal with uh, art, you know, made by artists you love? Um, and I had agreed, like, yeah, um, you know, for the most part, uh, maybe there could be some extremely um, sticky uh, issues still. But there are some, for the most part, um, I was already in favor of separating the art from the artist and loving art regardless of what the artist had to do with it or whether he liked whether he liked the way you liked it or any of that. So this seemed to be a logical extension of uh, that stance that I had already uh, fortuitously mapped out for other reasons. Um, and to a large extent, I think that still applies. Uh, but with this, what was interesting to me was that, you know, when we're talking about violent hip-hop, if, if the um, as as uh, as uh, David Pizarro says in that clip there, if uh, the Wu Tang Clan actually did the things the Wu Tang Clan says they did, like that's way worse than <laughs> than yes. anything anybody has been accused of in Me Too. Like I, Harvey Weinstein is a fucking monster and he's horrifying. Uh, one of the worst people we whose deeds we know of. Uh, in in you know current contemporary society, um, but you know one murder pretty much outdoes everything he's done, and <laughs> most rappers are claiming a lot more than one murder. Um, so uh, yeah, um, the so you want to say like well like like again they point out in that clip right there you want to say well you know it's just art it's just representation. But at the same time, one of the big values of this specific subgenre of art is realness. And um, uh, people like Rick Ross, who are revealed, like, you know, Rick Ross claims to be a big drug dealer. Um, but then it turns out he's a prison guard and everybody's mad at Rick Ross. So, um, <laughs> so if that's the case, does that mean that we actually are supporting the art, in fact, because some of these people have apparently done terrible things, or at least we want to believe that they've done terrible things. And that that sort of scrambles the whole way I was trying to worm my way out of this thing, and I'm not sure I have an answer for it. So I don't know. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think that that is, you know, I think the rap may be illustrating the point that the uh, Me Too movement or whatever, you know, kind of shape or label you want to put on what's happening right now um, is that um, a great example of the kind of action that we're excusing uh, that we shouldn't be. Um, You know, why, you know, yes, I used to sing along to Eminem when he talked about violently killing his ex-wife. Yeah. Um, I will say the one song, Kim, on Marshall Mathers, like I was revolted 
even yes. the first time I heard that song and yes. have never gone back to listen to it because that that's too much for even me. And I have yes. a strong stomach for this stuff. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, and, you know, he, he goes back to it on like Chronic 2001, for instance. Yeah. Um, and what's the difference? Um, and I, I just there's I don't know why any human has an excuse to say these things. Um, unless they're acting in a movie or play. I mean, you know, I, and I don't want to limit. Yes, I feel this feeling like I don't want to limit artistic expression, but um, yeah. I don't really see it, it really brings me to, you know, a point that I've been thinking about is like, I don't really see the, you know, sometimes the justification for this kind of art when I step back and think about it, you know, and it's not it doesn't seem to me suddenly it doesn't seem essential to the art of rap or to what I love about rap. Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe I've assumed it was, um, just because it, it fit well with, you know, some pieces of the culture around rap and, you know, was in, darkly humorous and um again like fit in this idea of realness yeah um, but i just i just wonder like it is it essential part of hip-hop or could we you know should we say no actually maybe we should you know at, at least try and look for other things to, to rap about <laughs> yeah yeah well okay so first of all i think Plenty of people have found other things to rap about. Yes, um, they have. Yeah. You know, MF Doom probably has a few violent lyrics, but even those come off as like hilarious boasts and not like him actually glorifying uh, violence. So, right. but even there, you know, so plenty of people would object to it still uh, on the grounds you just laid out. Um, so, I mean, my attitude on that specific point is that just because some violent you know it, it it's consistent to say that some violent art of any kind or uh you know transgressive art of any kind um is bad and not worth listening to or or experiencing or condoning you can say that without categorically saying nasty things in art must be avoided um which is certainly a position that lots of people have had in fact up until the 20th century like almost all of them i feel like um <laughs> right um so um you know like uh the the m&m the the m&m examples we just brought up are actually i think instructive here in that you know kim uh i think that's the name of the song off the marshall Mathers ep or lp is um you know, the full song is a detailed and gruesome um, fantasy about him murdering his ex-wife and the mother of his child. And like like a a an imagined narrative of the deal of, of the deed um, in as much detail as I would hope anybody could stomach. Um, and, and in fact, I could I can't really stomach it like it's it's right. gross. Um, but then what's the difference? I mean, he is once again talking about. Uh, murdering her and um, it's once again and, and and it's once again got some uh, gruesome details that involve uh, you know basically desecrating her corpse um, and um, I uh, I love that verse man it's so good <laughs> right. um, it's uh, it's 
<laughs> look, I, I, I realize this is a an incriminating thing to say. Uh, this is, and I say this is somebody who can truly promise you I have never even been tempted to commit violence against a woman. Um, uh, it's uh, it's really hilarious. Um, <laughs> um, and if Eminem actually did those things, uh, I promise you I would not laugh at that at all. Um, so that's a tough thing to unpack. Um, part of it is uh, that one function of art can be to give people a release for these darker impulses, to experience them in a way that does not involve actually harming somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I believe that, actually. I think there is some value there. Certainly, I have had dark, violent impulses at times in my life. I think most young men do have them, um, and maybe most all people. Um, but uh, uh, based on all the violence men commit, I presume it's more predominant amongst us. Um, uh, and I, you know, you can definitely spiral into letting art feed that and make it worse. Um, we can all think of any number of uh, uh, mass shooters who have, in the writings they left behind, you know, cited violent peop- uh, violent art that inspired them. But I think for more people, it um, it lets you understand it a little bit better. It helps you understand that other people are going through this, uh, which it's nice to know that you're not the only crazy person sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it also lets you sort of get some of that cathartic release that you are that your urges signify your you want um in a like i said relatively safe way um you know well i guess you know i think i would i think that maybe it might well first of all we might be drifting a little from the point to argue whether uh, Marshall Mathers describing the ways he's going to kill his wife is cathartic or, you know, or necessary for that kind of catharsis or connection. Um, because in that case, you know, we're talking about whether someone's uh, kind of repulsive character in rap mm-hmm. is a justified artistic choice or one that's, you know, I think then we're, I think at this point we're maybe judging the art um, separate from its creator, um, sure. even though he's he's it's biographical in nature. Well, the, um, but I thought that was the point. I thought you were saying we need to question whether this art, in and of itself as art, should be uh, considered acceptable. Oh yes, absolutely. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it does yeah. go back to that, and I think that um, the it's well it's a different i mean i think maybe that's the problem with you know looking at rap as um a window into this movement when you know there's probably a difference between um you know questionable choices in your art Mm -hmm. and being a uh, art made by people who are terrible yes yes (laughs) okay yes exactly exactly and i mean i think that um well, well right. I think that's, I get, that's a I good guess. distinction to make. I mean, you know, there we can have a real argument about whether Eminem's artistic choices are justified. Mm-hmm. Um, in and that's um, the the connection there was that. Remember, we were saying definitely maybe Eminem hasn't committed a lot of crimes, but definitely some rappers 
actually do have horribly violent pasts that they're right yeah. rapping about. Do- yes, and doc, you know, Doctor Dre has been, yeah, uh, you know, accused of serious domestic abuse. Yeah, um, which um, is certainly something that he uh, refers to in his song. Yeah, and uh, and you know, definitely a few of these drug dealing rappers actually must have been essentially serial killers uh, in that line of work. Um, I'm assuming they aren't all lying. I get I for I get the feeling that Pusha T is yeah. actually has actually been a serious drug dealer. Yeah, maybe that's just the, the conviction with which he he raps over his Kanye beats. But um, <laughs> yeah, him or uh, uh, Prodigy from Mob Deep uh, was another one yes. I definitely believed um, yes. <laughs> about everything he said. Um, so someone out there has actually killed a bunch of people and then rapped about it. Oh yeah. Um, uh, no, no doubt. Um, and if, if <laughs> not the band, no doubt. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. They're all, they're all serial killers. Um, so Paul, so how do we want to, let's, let's get to the, um, that other question, the, you, the you, topic at hand here. Yeah. Um, which is, um, if you love no doubt and it turns out Gwen Stefani, uh, murders homeless children for sport. Mm-hmm. Um, it, can you can you cross that line where you just say, "Nope, fuck this. This is my favorite album, but I'm I'm not going to listen to it again." So I guess I would say I could understand if somebody had uh, had those things connected in their mind, such that they could no longer appreciate the work of art without thinking about that. You know, right? So then that that just sours it right there. I mean, I'm sort of that way with Woody Allen. Like I can't, I can't watch right. Woody Allen movies without thinking about him, um, molesting his, his do- stepdaughter or daughter or adopted daughter. Or, or uh, I don't remember exactly the relationship. Um, so that's a problem. And I, if somebody told me that I'd be like, yeah, I believe that. And that's a good reason not to uh, enjoy that art anymore. But if you can enjoy it without, uh, if you can't experience the art without having that be top of mind and you say, yeah, um, you know, I can still appreciate this thing um, despite the fact that I know that the person who made it did some bad things, um, which obviously is going to be easier or harder depending on what that art is about. Um, you know, with Woody Allen, sometimes his movies are about the creepy things he did almost. Um, uh, but if they, if somebody said that, I would, I would actually say, yeah, that's fine. Um, I, like I said, it, to well, the extent that the art doesn't depend on the realness of the awful thing the person is doing, um, I uh, I think that that makes sense to still be able to appreciate it. Well, I guess, you know, that it led me when I was thinking about this to a surprising question that I asked myself, which is, I mean, do we really have a choice to ignore the intention Um or is it a calculation that we make naturally based on the relevant factors of what we know about the artist, of what we feel about the art, um, yeah. and our own mind and inclination? So, I mean, I wonder if, you know, am I, I even capable? Like, for instance, I don't know. If we go to the example of brand new, is that to me, I mean, you know, their most recent album, I did enjoy it. But now it's not so much that I'm like, 
against the idea of anyone enjoying it. But personally, like, I'm just not going to. I'm just yeah. like, I like, that doesn't sound good to me to go back and listen to it despite that. And I can't really say that's just like kind of an aesthetic reaction to me. And it doesn't, it's not really a, something I have much control over. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't suggesting that this was a conscious choice, whether to think about that. Um, you could You could choose to associate those things but it's hard to say that if you did f- have that association burned into your mind that you could choose not to have it you know um right. so I, th- I think what you just described is basically the first scenario i was trying to describe um of this has been this well has been poisoned and i can't i can't yes. i just can't ignore it whether i want to or not um yes. i but you know for me <laughs> by by contrast i can listen to that album and you know uh it doesn't it doesn't really pop into my mind thinking about uh what a creep that guy was um <laughs> and i already bought it so uh it doesn't seem to me and i'm not going to i i i i'm confident that it is not going to inspire me to be a horrific creep like that so i don't really see what is left to object to other than um maybe that i am not morally upright enough to be always first and foremost concerned with the moral transgressions vaguely related to this thing I'm listening to. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's interesting just that, you know, in some ways to, uh, if you choose to ignore it in some situation, kind of happily accepting whatever, you know, the, the morality of that choice is as something that you are ignoring to listen to the album that was a convoluted sentence yeah (laughs) i think i got it but if you want to rephrase i'll let you yeah yeah so i mean it's it's more that like you can accept the judgment that maybe this album is you know tainted for others because of this and maybe it is you know there's some sort of standing that the band has lost and that you yourself are maybe making you know the a less righteous choice when listening to it, but that that doesn't really, in some cases that just is not going to matter to you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't uh, particularly care to be righteous for its own sake. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, and I looked at at the list of examples, you know, there are some handy articles that, um, you know, kind of list the, especially the indie rockers accused and, you know, some interesting ones uh, popped up. There's, uh, uh, Matt Montanil, who was the former guitarist from Real Estate, um, mm. who was actually kicked out before this latest album because of accusation accusations from many girlfriends, uh, Julia Holter among them, uh, that mm. he was, you know, a uh, uh, she said an emotionally abusive boyfriend with no boundaries that she ended up having to uh, lawyer up because she said she feared for her life. Um, or, you know, there is a, no, and there is an even, uh, more convoluted case, the lead singer of the band Pine Grove, which I like, uh, Evan Stevens Hall, um, was accused of kind of using his stature as, uh, an indie rocker to coerce a woman to break up with her boyfriend and sleep with him. And, um, you know, some of these categories fall into, um, being a jerk rather than being an actual criminal. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. and I, I think that, that, um, there's a certain point where you're like, okay, this person sounds like an asshole. I'm not going to listen to their music. 
But there's no real need to separate or not separate the art from the artist there. It's just, it, yeah. it seems to be just kind of there, um, you know, and uh, I do like Julia Holter and it does suck that this dude turned out to be an absolutely shitty boyfriend to her. Yeah. Um, but I don't really think any of that means I can't go back and listen to early, early real estate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would say it's more tough uh, in the case that we discussed um <laughs> in in person uh with power bottom because power bottom. yeah because they were um very uh loudly and explicitly about um sexual justice basically um so if you turn out to be if if your art is unmistakably um uh if you're basically a gigantic ass hypocrite in that uh, in your art itself that that would be tougher for me to uh, separate for sure than, um, you know, like I don't think real estate uh, talked much about uh, me too. I don't particularly like real estate anyway. They're fine, but um, yeah. They're a little chill for you. Yeah. They are too chill. Um, um, so yeah, it it remains tough. I mean, Swans is always the tough case for me in that, mm, you know, mm. he was, he was, um, you know, uh, for as credibly accused as one could be by a single uh, accuser who um, uh, has no witnesses, like I, I really have no idea what happened there. It really could be that he raped somebody. Um, yeah. So shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's in your mind. Um, yeah. You know. Uh, I think R. Kelly is the one that I'm like. <laughs> this person is over the line. Yeah, R. Kelly was basically a, uh, a sexual slave master, I guess. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. bad. That's really That's bad. bad. The week, yeah, Remix to Ignition is a great song, and it's, it's, not, it's not holding that. Even that yeah. uh, cannot, cannot quite stand. Yeah. Well, and you know, there, you know, maybe he brings it full circle to the, the hip hop thing I was talking about because R. Kelly's music is definitely about sex. So it yes. um, causes some problems when it turns out that his sex life uh, was a horror show. Uh, so, um, yeah. Uh, I think that's, I think, so I think that kind of covers it. I mean, I, I, I yeah. you know, my main, my conclusion was that I don't really think I have much um uh choice in the matter Mm -hmm. um for myself um only to the extent that i might ignore any feelings that i have uh, any misgivings i have and power through something yeah Um, well and i want to be clear i don't i would never chastise somebody for being like uh for saying that you know something that i thought that i loved and still appreciated uh was was too tainted by whatever somebody did like i would just be like yeah Okay, that's fair. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, uh, listen to whatever you want to listen to. I mean, yeah. for whatever reason. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, um, I guess what's striking to me about this whole discussion is that um, nobody seems to have any sort of... Uh, it's it's definitely been talked to death, um, and uh, nobody seems to have any clear answers. So uh, this may remain one of those... Uh, thorny things of human life that we can never get around where there are no bright lot excuse me no bright lines um yeah, yeah. If, if i were to suggest a way to like that to eventually you know uh you know make this problem 
much, you know, something that doesn't keep happening is to, you know, question our idea. If we keep it to music, I mean, question our idea, idea of the rock star and, you know, the MC as a God. And like, sure. I think there's some, you know, not putting these people on a pedestal, not giving them power. I mean, of course they're going to be well known, but I think not, you know, it would be a giant cultural shift, but you know, you could do little things to not, you know, um, give rock stars and, and, or of invincibility um, or say that, you know, they're not responsible for, you know, what they do um, just because, you know, they're, they're so effing cool. Yeah. Um, I think there's, there's a, there's a path there um, just in terms of, you know, yeah, you go to someone and you enjoy their show, but they're still just another person. They're creating art. You're listening to it. You know, it's just, Um, in an exchange between equal humans. Exactly. Uh, and yeah, I would say, you know, that's that's part of why I'm attracted to the position I laid out earlier of wanting to appreciate art uh, disconnected from the artist who made it, um, uh, even aside from whether uh, uh, that's a question of, you know, cutting away the, the evil that the artist might have done. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's somebody like, uh, you know, Tom York, who, as far as I know, is an exemplary human. <laughs> God, being. yeah. Um, uh, I still want to avoid uh, idolizing him, um, just because I personally I don't like idolizing people. I think it's a mistake generally. Um, so there you go. They all let you. I mean, they all, you will you will be let down. I mean, there's no question. Uh, absolutely, and also it has to do with like uh, maintaining your own dignity and um, yes. <laughs> and and just you know self-worth um you know you can admire people uh i think it's good to admire people who are good but idol idol <coughs> idolization uh is too far i mean sort of by definition i'm sort of just begging the question here but you know what i'm saying there's a difference there that i think we could all identify in how we relate to people and stick to the one side yeah and i mean you know i think if you were going to say that um uh, Thurston Moore is the real Green River Killer. Then you know that could be true, and uh, early Sonic Youth would still slap. <laughs> Recall that Thurston Moore actually did turn out to be a huge jerk um, he did. to his wife. <laughs> he did. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, and I, I'm still going to enjoy the films of zombie zombie Elizabeth Taylor, even though <laughs> she killed so many, infected so many. <laughs> there you go. All right. Um, well, if you uh, if you want to um, yell at us for the undoubtedly controversial things we just said, um, you know, you can hit us up on Twitter at Savage Beast Pod, email savagebeastpod at gmail.com. Oh, my sister wrote us. We will. Uh, we need to respond on the next one, maybe mm. to her. She even had a point do about we? our mispronunciation. Yeah, you know, we got to respond <laughs> to do. fan mail to, to encourage more fan mail, even if it's actually sister mail. Um, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, then uh, also savagespod.com and of course rate, review, subscribe on iTunes please everybody we really appreciate that yeah and uh, you know um, kill rock stars yeah kill your idols as Sonic Youth once said mm-hmm. peace later